Welcome, fans of the Justice League universe. My name is Sam, and my co-writer Alessandro and I use this podcast to share our scene-by-scene analysis of the DC films. So far, we've focused on Batman v Superman, but starting this coming weekend, we'll also be covering Suicide Squad, and throughout the fall and winter, we also want to circle back and include a few episodes about Man of Steel as well. But right now, we've got two more scenes that involve Clark and Bruce preparing for the Batman-Superman fight. In scenes 49 and 50, each of these two main characters takes a quiet moment to convene with their parents. Clark has a vision of his adoptive father, Jonathan, on a mountaintop, and Bruce visits the memory of his parents and ancestors in the burnt-out Wayne Manor. For a movie that is often criticized for poor transitions between scenes, we get yet another good transition from scene 48 into scene 49. We go right from Lois, wondering where Clark is, to an establishing shot of a mountain where we see Clark on a solitary hike. Superman's need for solitude to collect his thoughts and reflect on events is a common part of the character in the comics, animation, and prior movies. My wife asked why he needs such a heavy jacket when he's Superman. I think one answer to this is that he wants to blend in during his hike so as not to draw too much attention to himself. For example, in the extended cut, we see that he does pass some others on the mountain, and it would be pretty shocking if they saw a man going up with inappropriate clothing. But another answer to this question could be that, even though Superman is very durable and nearly impervious to injury, he still has an internal body temperature that has to be maintained, and he feels the cold. In other words, even though maybe he won't get frostbite, it might be more comfortable him to have a jacket on when it's cold. As far as we know in the movie universe, super internal heat emanation is not one of his powers. Another thing to notice in the setup to scene 49 is that Clark is hiking on foot, not flying. This emphasizes that he is trying to reground himself and his purpose, and the point of the trip is for him to think and reflect, not just to travel. It also shows that he is Clark no matter what, but he is not automatically Superman. It's a choice for him to be Superman, as we covered in a previous episode. And the people in the movie universe, and us here in the audience, we can't take Superman for granted. So we come up to Jonathan Kent at the top of the mountain. For me, this was one of several really big surprises uh, when I saw the movie for the first time. I had no idea that Kevin Costner was going to make an appearance in BVS. And even though I followed as much of the promotional material and insights from people covering the movie as I could in advance, I did not know that... Jonathan was going to show up. I did not know that Superman would die. Um, I, of course, knew that Doomsday was created for the death of Superman's story, and I heard a rumor that extras filmed a funeral procession scene, and the extras were told to act like it was the president or someone beloved who had died. But that was just a rumor, and it was possible that it was someone else, like Secretary Swanwick, who had died instead of Superman. So although I knew it was a possibility that Superman would die, I definitely did not know that it was going to happen until it was happening the first time I saw the movie. I also didn't know who was going to win the Batman-Superman fight, and I didn't know what Lex's overall goal was or how it would resolve, though of course I knew Lex would be anti-Superman. I only talk about these uh, things that surprised me because BVS got some flack for not keeping enough secrets during the marketing. I think there really was quite a bit of the big stuff that wasn't revealed ahead of time. And for the stuff that was shown ahead of time, I really didn't mind at all because I believe the scientific studies that have shown spoilers don't spoil. Knowing what to expect actually enhances the entertainment value, even for people who claim that spoilers ruin it for them. 
But moving on into scene 49, we see Jonathan Kent building a carn, which is a man-made pile of rocks. Carns go back thousands of years and they have several purposes. They often mark grave sites, which is fitting in this case because Jonathan is dead, but they are also used to mark the summits of mountains. It's not explicitly shown whether this is a dream, a hallucination, or just an imaginary interaction based on Clark's own memories of his father. With regard to the themes and character arc that we'll talk about in a second, it doesn't really matter about you know whether it's a hallucination or something else. But some people are very curious about facts and explanations in cases like this. So for me, I took it to be just Clark clearing his mind and perhaps helped by the thin atmosphere, he is thinking about his father and what his father might say in this situation after the Capitol bombing and after all the trials that we've seen Clark face thus far in the movie. It's possible that Jonathan told Clark the story about the flood in the past and because of Clark's time of thoughtfulness, Clark's able to remember it and think about that story now. But I'm not saying this is the only interpretation. Readers of the comic books in the 1990s might connect this interaction with Jonathan to issue 500 of the Adventures of Superman. In that issue, a dead Clark also interacts with Jonathan Kent. But in that case, Clark was not actually fully dead, and Jonathan had had a heart attack. So they were able to convene sort of through their proximity to an afterlife. So that was a bit different in the comics, but there is a nice kind of connection there. And by the way, I have an extra copy of Adventures of Superman number 500 that I'd be happy to give away to one of our great listeners. So whoever sends a tweet to at Ottensam or an email to Ottensam at att.net, whoever does that first and mentions issue 500, uh, that comic will be yours as a thank you for your continued support of the podcast. So please also, um, we can connect and I can get your address of where to send that. So, Jonathan Kent is there, and as is Clark's nature, he spends most of this scene listening rather than talking. As with many other scenes, the whole scene is about Clark and what he's going through, but he is not the one doing the talking. Jonathan starts by connecting their current setting to their home back in Kansas. He says that it's all downhill from here, up at the top of the mountain, and he talks about how this goes down and eventually into the relatively flat floodplains of Kansas. The main part of this scene, then, is the story about the flood. When Jonathan was young, the floodwaters were rising, and so he helped to barricade off his family farm to protect it from the flood, and they celebrated their heroic efforts. But the next day, they found out that they had just diverted the floodwater to the Lang farm. And this is a reference to the Lana Lang family, and she was Clark's friend in the comics and in past television series, and she also appeared briefly in Man of Steel. But the point is not that little reference. The point of the story is to serve as an analogy for exactly what Clark has been dealing with throughout the film. Jonathan and his father were trying to help out in a dangerous situation, but they didn't realize that their good intentions would have negative consequences for others. This is similar to how Superman fought to stop Zod in Man of Steel, but inadvertently caused death and destruction in Metropolis. And how in Africa, Superman was just trying to save Lois, but he didn't realize that it would seem like the U.S. was intervening in a civil war, and that would lead to deadly retribution. And just recently, at the Capitol, where Superman was trying to do the right thing by appearing to testify and answer questions about his behavior, he didn't realize that that would become a target for Lex's terrorist attack. And even with the smaller actions that are alluded to in the movie rather than fully developed, 
we can infer that Superman comes in to save whomever he can, and then he's second-guessed and critiqued for how it was that he chose who to save, or maybe he should have been somewhere else instead of where he actually was. In all these ways, he's feeling the same things that Jonathan felt when Jonathan was working hard to do the right thing, only in hindsight to realize that his actions had inadvertently caused harm to another. And it's even more complex than that, because even with hindsight, maybe the Kents would still build their flood wall, because it would be impossible to sit there and do nothing as your farm floods. The overarching idea, which is consistent with the Justice League universe approach thus far, is that the world is complex, and things that have been presented as clear-cut in past comic books and past comic book movies really aren't all that clear-cut. It goes back to that main theme that we mentioned several times in our early episodes, that there are no diamond absolutes when it comes to right and wrong. Sometimes doing a good deed can lead to bad consequences. But is the good deed still worth it? How do we weigh the good against the bad? As Clark is trying to negotiate these gray areas and find a way to exist in this complex world, it is helpful to have a father who has been there in those same complexities. And these are not just ethical quandaries, they have a real emotional toll, too. For Jonathan, he talks about the horses screaming as they drowned. This ties into the horse motif that has accompanied the destructive moments in this movie. As Jonathan describes the horse's screams, we, the audience, can think back to that bucking horse that we just saw a few minutes ago during the Capitol bombing, and we can also recall the riderless horse that walked past Bruce during the Black Zero event in scene two. So Jonathan has felt the same emotions that Clark is feeling now, even if Jonathan's were on a more local scale. Clark asks Jonathan if the nightmares ever stopped. It's clear from this question, and from all the reactions we've seen of Clark throughout the movie, as he's watching the coverage of Superman's activities and the debates and the protests, that Clark takes everything to heart, and he himself has had nightmares because of the repercussions of his actions. We can also think about Lois, who said that she has lost sleep over the repercussions of, for instance, the African incident. Jonathan says that the nightmares did stop when he met Martha. He says that Martha gave him faith that there's good in this world and that she was his world. This line is the most important in the scene because it makes it explicit that Clark is not only feeling guilt about the collateral damage he sometimes causes, but he is also having a crisis of faith with regard to the inherent goodness of humanity. Clark is wondering if maybe things always have a negative side to them because humanity maybe naturally puts a negative spin on things or ruins things. And thus far, with regard to Lex and Bruce, Clark is kind of right to be having those doubts. But before now, Clark had put his faith in humanity, as he did in Man of Steel, and Clark intuitively believed in the goodness of mankind. Like the problem of evil that is stated later by Lex, the question of whether humans are naturally good or naturally evil or neither, like a tabula rosa, um, this has been debated by philosophers and theologians for centuries. Batman, as a character, tends to prepare for the worst, and he has lots of evidence in Gotham that people have a natural inclination toward evil, whereas Superman, as a character, but also here in the Justice League universe, tends to believe in the inherent goodness of humanity, and he assumes that if he attempts to act heroically, then the people will respond in kind. What BVS does is put Superman through a set of circumstances that challenge his belief in the goodness of people. Contrary to some critics' opinions, 
Superman does not actually abandon his beliefs, but he does question them before ultimately standing by those beliefs. It helps that he sees the good that still exists in Batman and Wonder Woman, and this, together with the love of Lois and the love of his mother, give Clark and give Superman the courage of his convictions to sacrifice himself at the end of the movie. On the flip side, Batman is driven by his pessimism toward a psychological abyss and pulls back from the edge only when he learns of Superman's human connections and Superman's selflessness. So, just as Jonathan says here, it is our human connections that can bolster our faith in humanity and give us the strength to go on in a complex and sometimes cruel world. For Jonathan, it was the connection to Martha. It was also his connection to Clark, because Jonathan's next line, after saying that Martha is his world, he then says, I miss you, son, emphasizing that relationship that he also had with Clark. And Clark responds, I miss you too, Dad. The line delivery from Cavill got me choked up again. First it was the capital scene in the fireball, and now here where he misses his father during a time of trial. Two scenes in a row for Superman that hit me really hard emotionally, and they won't be the last scenes like that. Now of course, as Jonathan is talking about Martha, Clark is thinking about Lois. They developed a strong and full bond in Man of Steel, with Lois fully embracing both Clark and Superman, and with Clark exhilarated to have someone to finally share and settle down with. And now in BVS, they have shown a deep connection and concern for one another. Through that love, a deep and personal connection to another human being, Jonathan is telling Clark that he can make it through the pain. I like it that Jonathan does not tell Clark what course of action to take, but he does indicate to Clark the importance of those deep connections, and he also lets Clark know that he loved him too. Just as with Martha, the Kents are parents who don't try to simplify complex situations, but instead acknowledge the complexity and remind their son of the unconditional love that they have for him. So overall, this is a great scene that makes explicit Superman's entire character dilemma and gives him the strength to go forward on that dilemma. Though little does Clark know that Lex is capable of making things even worse than they are now. As we said earlier, some people didn't like this scene, or they didn't like Superman's arc in general, because he had to grapple with whether to continue being Superman. But to me, that just made it more meaningful when he did make his decisions to keep going and doing what he could do. And by the way, what he did do was eventually save everyone, again. As Mark Hughes at Forbes explained in his article, Zack Snyder Loves uh, Superman and Batman v Superman Proves It um, at Forbes, many people in the movie do doubt and discredit Superman's role in the world. But those characters who doubt him, they are wrong. We need Superman's idealism precisely because our society is full of hate and judgment and media-induced flame wars. Scene 49 ends with a wide shot where we see Clark by himself. So we know that this was not actually the flesh and blood reincarnation of Jonathan. The cairn is actually there, though. Now, a few thoughts to share from listeners. Twitter user um, at PhrasesBR pointed out that this scene with Jonathan Kent hits some similar beats as a scene between Clark and Jonathan in the Smallville TV show. Another Twitter user at DC vs. Marvel Comic put together a few parallel images um, of Smallville and this scene, and we'll link to that uh, Twitter post in the show notes. Also, Trent Osborne on YouTube wrote that Jonathan has heroic tendencies just like Clark does. Despite Jonathan's misinterpreted maybe line from Man of Steel, 
Everything we've seen Jonathan do is heroic, from taking in Clark as a baby, to his protectiveness over Clark, to his sacrifice to save people and pets in the tornado scene in Man of Steel, and now this story about him saving the farm. All of this are heroics on Jonathan's part, um, but because of the resultant flooding of the Lang farm, Jonathan feels the same survivor's guilt as Clark. This explains so much about Jonathan, and the fact that he's faced this dilemma before makes his connection here with Clark that much more powerful. So thanks, Trent, for those thoughts. And thanks also to Phrases BR. We love all the great perspectives that listeners share on this movie, especially on the YouTube comment boards, which seems like the best place for interactions about these scenes. Moving on to scene 50, this time we have Bruce in a moment of contemplation with his parents. And to start the scene, this time it's Alfred walking up to the burnt-out manor, an echo of Bruce walking out to the mausoleum in scene 17. Both Wayne Manor and the mausoleum are representative of Bruce's fallen parents, his crumbling life, and it foreshadows the end of his pathway uh, which is leading him to ruin because he's going down this dark path. In yet another great scene transition, I swear this movie did not get enough credit for its transitions and sequencing of scenes, we cut right from Clark saying, I miss you too, Dad, to Wayne Manor, where Bruce is, as usual, lamenting the loss of his parents. This invites us to see the common ground between Clark and Bruce. Even though they are on this path into conflict with one another that will culminate in the Batman-Superman fight, they both miss their parents. Clark clearly misses Jonathan, and he is also an orphan from his Kryptonian parents. And Bruce is an orphan who defines himself by the moment of powerlessness and loss when he lost his parents. Right now, Bruce is singular and self-centered in his pain, but these two scenes foreshadow that the two characters do have a connection, and if they can only come to recognize that connection and the similarity in one another, then that can be a basis for a more positive relationship and they can try to see one another's perspective. So in scene 50, Alfred carries us into the manor, where we see Bruce at the fireplace, a brick construction that parallels the rocks of the Carn. Alfred makes a final appeal to Bruce. You know you can't win this, it's suicide. As Man of Steel Answers pointed out, this reference to suicide shifts blame off of Superman and on to Batman. If Batman goes into this battle and dies, it will have been a self-destructive act, and not the fault of Superman. But knowing Superman, he will still feel guilty about it, even if it is Batman's fault. Bruce responds to Alfred, I'm older now than my father ever was. This might be the only thing I do that matters. So Bruce is implying that his father had accomplished more by this point in his life than Bruce has. And Bruce, like we've talked about many times before, feels ineffectual and powerless. He has convinced himself that taking out Superman is necessary, but more importantly, it will prove that he does have power. Alfred asks whether the 20 years of fighting criminals has amounted to nothing, and Bruce gives his cynical answer, that criminals are like weeds. Pull one out and another grows in its place. This also reminds us of earlier in scene 8, when Bruce said that they were criminals too. So here, when Bruce is sort of saying that criminals are a dime a dozen, he is by extension pointing out his own unspecialness as himself a criminal. Bruce then talks about his family's legacy and how defeating Superman would be his personal contribution to that legacy. Again, he is convincing himself that this is something he has to do, but the real reason he has to do it is to try to get rid of this feeling of powerlessness that is beleaguering him. 
He is also trying to connect himself to his family lineage because he has grown up and taken over the family business, but without an actual connection or adult relationship with his parents. So he is striving for that connection to his ancestors, to his family. In talking about his ancestors, Bruce harkens back to the original Waynes, who were hunters. This is a clear signal to Alfred that Bruce's mind is made up. He's going to be hunting Superman. We've already seen the preparation. As Casper Richter on YouTube explained, here Alfred basically realizes that it's out of his hands and he can't stop Bruce. And this puts Alfred out of the way, out of the picture. Um, He's shut out because of Bruce's tunnel vision, and that will go on through the BVS fight. And then at the end of the BVS fight, when Batman steps away from the edge of his abyss, and that's when it allows Alfred back into the picture to help him with the warehouse rescue. So that's it for scenes 49 and 50. They really are a great pair of scenes and work well back to back. We should also point out the cinematography and color palette on these two scenes. With Clark and Jonathan, the scene is very white with the snow and fog, whereas Bruce and Alfred are situated in a dark space inside the manor. Both settings are very striking, but one is up on a pinnacle and the other is in a ruin. Both main characters are wearing heavy clothing and coats, which adds to the sense of weight or burden that is resting on each of them. It's such good stuff, as we've come to expect from this movie. In the next episode, we have three more quick scenes before the big helipad scene with Lex, Lois, and Superman. Those episodes should be coming very soon, and then we also have Suicide Squad opening on Thursday night. We'll probably have some sort of initial thoughts on Suicide Squad up this weekend. And the reviews for Suicide Squad will be released uh, a matter of hours after this episode drops. So I'm going to try to do some blogging at comicandscreen.blogspot.com about those Suicide Squad reviews, kind of like I did with BVS back in March. Thanks for listening, and please check out the Suicide Squadcast and Man of Steel Answers as well.